1: Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast number 400, I can't even believe it, and this episode is brought to you by the fine folks over at NetHealth. So if you're interested in a free opportunity to check in with the latest thoughts of other rehab leaders, I've got one for you. There's a new online rehab therapy community designed for the intersection of the clinical and business sides of rehab. It's called the Rehab Therapy Operational Best Practices Forum all about habits and initiatives that juice up your attendance, revenue, workflows, documentation, compliance, efficiency, and engagement, while allowing your provider teams to keep their eye on the prize, their patients, and outcomes. I personally believe a better connected rehab therapy profession has the power to help more people. So jump in, subscribe, join the conversations today. You can find the Rehab Therapy Operational Best Practices Forum at wwwnethealthcom slash healthy. So like I said, today is episode 400, which is kind of crazy, and I couldn't be happier to have as my guest one of my good friends, Dr. Cecily DiStefano. So Cecily has just way too many accolades to name in one sitting, but she received her master's, in 2001 and doctor in 2007 in physical therapy from Marymount University she administers premium care to a large diverse population of outpatient orthopedic patients she has a special interest in rehabbing the biomechanics including the ribs spine hips and pelvis over the past several years in practice she has focused on preventing injuries promoting health and wellness and creating solutions for complex and persistent pain she also provides care for men's and women's pelvic health, conditions specific to athletes, breast health, prepartum, pregnancy, postpartum, bone health, osteoporosis, osteopenia, persistent pain, and post-surgical health and restoration. She has, like I said, numerous professional awards, way too many to um to go into here, but she is uh, she has served as the director of the APTA Section on Women's Health. She is certified direct access practitioner. She has received the distinction of Certified Orthopedic Specialist and Emerging Leader from the APTA. She has served as a center coordinator of clinical education and is a certified clinical instructor. She has also been honored as a distinguished commencement speaker. She currently she is currently teaching at George Mason University in the Department of Health administration and policy, her first year as a Mason professor. She was nominated by the students for the Career Connection Faculty Award. So, so many things to talk about. Uh, Cecily, and I, Cecily and I, I think, spoke for like hours and hours before even recording this podcast, and she's just a great person, and I couldn't think of a better person to have on my 400th episode. So, in this episode, We talk about Cecily's highlights from the International Pelvic Pain Society meeting in Chicago a couple of weeks ago. And we talk a lot about mentorship. Cecily's a huge mentor to students and to physical therapists. So why you should seek mentorship opportunities at conferences the most important traits a mentor should possess, and what qualities should a mentee look for in their mentor. So lots of stuff here, lots of info. Thanks to NetHealth. Thanks to Cecily. And uh, please enjoy episode number 400. Hey, Cecily, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to finally have you on. Hi, Karen. Thank you so much
0: for having me on. It's such an honor to be here with you, sipping some tea and hanging out, chatting. I just always love doing that with you.
1: Awesome. And just for a little background, so Cecily and I, I always talk about, oh, we talked a little bit about this before we went on the air. So we have literally been chatting for three hours. So look out, everybody, because we have a lot to say in the next 20 minutes, so we'll condense what we spoke about for three hours down to 20 minutes, which I think is fair. Um, Now, what we're going to talk about today, we've got a couple of things. Um, One, I want to chat about the International Pelvic Pain Society, or IPPS conference, which was just a couple of weeks ago in Chicago and then a little bit later we're going to talk um, on mentorship because Cecily has been a wonderful mentor within the APTA and outside of the APTA for many years. But let's first talk about the International Pelvic Pain Society. What is it?
0: The International Pelvic Pain Society uh, was established, you know, back in 1996, and they basically um, educate healthcare professionals about chronic pain and also bring hope to those who are suffering with chronic pain and raising awareness. So it's a great forum, a great society to bring healthcare professionals together to talk about issues affecting our clients.
1: And is this only for physical therapists or is this multidisciplinary?
0: It's multidisciplinary. In fact, I'm glad you brought that up. That's one of the things I liked most about IPPS. This is my, um, I attend IPS and I love it for that reason, that it's multidisciplinary. We have urologists and gynecologists, gastrointestinal specialists, all kinds of different nurse practitioners from all over the world. It's also international as we, you know, as as the name says, and there's people from all over the world, different countries, very global presence there, and so it's helpful to have everyone in the room to talk about it because, as we know, other countries maybe have different issues than we have, and and looking at medicine holistically, we can come together on a variety of different topics related to pain as well as different disciplines and how we can best work together to really solve the problems and think about scalable solutions for chronic pain.
1: And I think it's so great I, that, that it is multidisciplinary and international. I'm a huge fan of both of those types of conferences because, like you said, dif- people deal with healthcare differently in different countries. And there's always something to be learned there and something to be shared that maybe, hey, we're not doing this here in the U.S., but what a great idea. How can we start implementing that? Absolutely. What were three highlights, or maybe not three, give me a couple of highlights for you, aside from hanging out with colleagues and making those professional connections, because we all know conferences are great for that, but did you learn anything new?
0: Absolutely, that was my, I mean, you know what you're speaking to is my heart. I teach my health administration and policy students that networking is so important, and these conferences are great for that, but what I really enjoyed this year was the Clinical Foundations. So Thursday of the conference, the first day for me of the conference, Clinical Foundations was basically where they brought in different healthcare practitioners to do um, these small little vignette talks. So we talked about uh, pain pathophysiology. We talked about gynecology. We talked about urology, um, gastrointestinal disorders, and then we talked about the psychosocial aspect. And then what I really loved was the neuromuscular piece by Karen Brandon and uh, Meryl uh, they gave a wonderful talk about that in, in a physical exam. And what I neglected to say earlier when I was listing off professionals, obviously physical therapists are in the room. And that, that's very important because we were able to give a physio perspective to the other disciplines, but also gain some perspective from um, from the other specialties as well. And the neat thing was we had these vignettes, pharmacology um, and cognitive behavioral therapy as well. And then we had these breakout sessions at the end where we brought in case studies and we broke out into roundtable groups of interdisciplinary teams and we discussed the cases and we problem solved the cases together as a team. And that was really wonderful because it all built up on all the little vignette talks we've had throughout the day from the experts and then we were able to put it into practice and implement it together as a team in these breakout case studies that the team put together uh, for us and we had a moderator at each table. and it was just really—they uh, gave us, you know, some some great questions to talk about, and then we were able to talk about it amongst ourselves and bring in our own perspectives to solve the problems for the patient. And it, it was just a fantastic way because it culminated and built on itself, and then and then at the end of the day, we kind of brought it all back together in a very um, functional way that we could take back into the clinic Monday morning. So that was my my primary favorite thing. I think Um, one of the things that I had FOMO about, I'm going to tell you is they had a clinical anatomy cadaver lab and I heard I wasn't able to attend. Yeah. But I heard great things about it from the clinicians uh, who went and and they, they said it was just fantastic. So I'm hopeful that they'll do that again and I'll get to go. Um, You know, one of the, one of the things I enjoy was the psychosocial assessment that Alexandra Milpaw do, does, she does, uh, she brings in that perspective and I like to talk about that and I like to hear what she's doing and and how to implement that in the clinic. Uh, I, it's always good to hear, so Britt Stooge, uh, she's a PT PhD who talks about pelvic girdle pain. She spoke on, I think it was Saturday, and she gave a a nice uh, talk about her research and the research in pelvic girdle pain, and I like to hear her real time and then uh, ask the questions. Uh, Karen Brandon and I were talking about her talk earlier, and we were talking about, you know, it's nice to have these researchers in the room, and you can ask them questions about their research, and so one of the, the other pieces that I enjoyed was just having these researchers in the room and being able to listen to their talks and then ask them questions about their research, or in my case, just sit there and listen to the questions that are asked and and process some of that research and the questions that they ask about the research. And that's, that's nice. It's also very affirming. So we talked, for example, about how gastrointestinal disorders are linked to chronic pain. And it's nice sometimes to affirm things we already know. And then and then really see, well, okay, well, what can we do about these things that we're seeing in the clinic? What what can we, you know, glean from this? And and um, one of the, you know, I've gone way over three things. But the other thing that I enjoy was talking to Catherine uh, Witzman, who's a PhD, uh, MD. And she talked about the gynecological and uro, uro, urology perspective. But really, she talked about her center of excellence with her multidisciplinary team and working together in that multidisciplinary team. So that was another big theme. You know, we brought it up at the beginning, and I'm just going to hone back in on it now that those, you know, how to work together as a team to solve these problems. And so that's one of the things I really love about this conference.
1: I mean, it sounds amazing. And is this only for people interested in pelvic disorders, or can anyone go even if you're not working with pelvic pain patients specifically?
0: I honestly think, I think it honestly is for a lot of different disciplines. They have, you know, as I mentioned, the gastrointestinal piece was really heavy and strong in this conference. We talked about IBS and a lot of other things besides just pelvic pain and and just pain science in general. We talked a bit about, you know, updates in pain science and what's going in pain science, what's going on in pain science and, and different other visceral pain syndromes. As well, so I think it spans more than just pelvic pain, more than just endometriosis, more than just bladder pain, and
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, I think that there's some good science to be learned, you know, to to, to deep, deeply dive into that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with pelvic pain, but it has a much broader applicability.
1: What if anything, if you can remember, because I'm kind of interested in that gastrointestinal part, was there anything that you were like, oh, that is really interesting from that gastrointestinal talk? I
0: think it's a good question. I actually was thinking one other thing I didn't mention that I really liked before we get into that was the yoga. Oh, nice. <laughs> totally love the yoga. Dusty Ann did a great yoga oh, for, she's, um, she's awesome, for pelvic yeah. pain. She is so awesome. And, and I, I usually am not able to attend her yoga. And I really like that. I really like that, that yoga piece. Um, but I, I think, you know, one of the things going back to what you were talking about that I was like, that's interesting. And, and I think we, we, we know this in the clinic, but it's nice to hear them talking about, and I've alluded to it already was the chronic pain, the chronic pelvic pain being one of the most common comorbidities of, IBS, we see in the clinic, we know it, but it's nice to go to a place where people are talking about it. And so I think a lot of people that treat maybe, for example, the IBS, for example, other gastrointestinal orders, they don't realize the link to chronic pain necessarily in their own practices, because maybe they're not asking their patients about chronic pelvic pain. And maybe the patients aren't disclosing that. I mean, when I talk to my patients, a lot of times they say to me, you know, no, I didn't talk to the doctor about my pelvic pain, and they feel very siloed in their healthcare, and I think this is why that multidisciplinary team approach is so important, and the fact that we're communicating in our healthcare circles about the overlap in a lot of these syndromes, so I think that, for me, that was a piece that I really enjoyed hearing people talk about, aside from just, the, you know, the hardcore research reporting is is that I really enjoyed enjoyed hearing people talk about the crossing over of the different um, chronic pain syndromes and and how can we get into the gastrointestinal community to tell them also to be talking to your patients about their chronic pelvic pain because if it's one of the most common comorbidities, they probably have it and they need treatment. You know, know, I was just going to say one other really fun fact um, about this conference was the 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 people on the stage are you know PhDs, MDs, a lot of different disciplines. But the last speaker that they had was actually a high school student who was who was partnering um, with some researchers to do some research in pelvic pain. And she actually stood up in front of all of these highly educated individuals and gave a wonderful talk. And it was this this high school girl, and she did a fantastic job. And I it really struck me. Um, it really struck me as a, as a mom of a 13-year-old girl mm-hmm. that this, this high school student is in is having the opportunity to engage in this kind of research and these kind of conversations. So I would say, not only do we need to be talking as a multidisciplinary team, but we need to be talking to maybe, you know, teenagers, people before it Absolutely. starts. Absolutely, yeah. For you know, sure. She's getting involved with her health care and her pelvic health and her gastrointestinal health way early in the game, you know, and it it, it just spoke to me about how maybe there's some opportunities there for education in the future. But anyway, I yeah, just wanted absolutely. to mention that because it was so striking to me. And
1: did uh, she have a history of gastrointestinal problems or pelvic pain, or is this was just something she was interested in?
0: This is really it, it, just a project that okay. um, it's an internship. It's a project that they, that, that she Um, was able to kind of get on board with they had an intern I think a student intern that helped with the project and she won you know the ability to do that I believe but she um, did an excellent job so she didn't disclose her personal history but she did an amazing job just sort of reciting to us the research that they found and not just reading the slides but giving some real anecdotes And it and it was very impressive at her age and stage in life that she was doing that. But also the topic matter as well might have been difficult for her, um, but it wasn't. She did a great job. So
1: that's amazing. That struck me. So we said earlier on, one of the great things about going to these conferences is connecting with people and perhaps finding a mentor or finding a mentee. And like I said, you have been a mentor to many people over the years. But what I'd like to know is, do you have a mentor? Did you have a mentor? And on that note, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll talk all about mentorship with Cecily. Are you interested in a free opportunity to check in with the latest thoughts of other rehab leaders? Well, I've got one for you. There's a new online rehab therapy community designed for the intersection of the clinical and business sides of rehab. It's the Rehab Therapy Operational Best Practices Forum. Catchy name, right? It's all about habits and initiatives that juice up your attendance, revenue, workflows, documentation, compliance, efficiency, and engagement, while allowing your provider teams to keep their eye on the prize their patients and outcomes. I personally believe that a better connected rehab therapy profession has the power to help more people. Jump in, subscribe, and join the conversation today. You can find the Rehab Therapy Operational Best Practices Forum at www.nethealth.com healthy. Absolutely, Karen.
0: Absolutely. I have had several wonderful mentors throughout my career Um, professionally and personally, you know, uh, we, we, as, as a mama Kate mafia had an experience this week where I gained a mentor. Um, I'm a mother of an eight year old boy and I gained a mentor of mothers of eight year old boys. So I go to these conferences and I'm very fortunate uh, again to just interact with people who've mentored me. I mean, Karen Brandon at this conference, she gave a wonderful talk and she, has mentored me in the pelvic health world and also the leadership world as a part of my mom and cake mafia group. And so there are vital people like that along the way who have, has, have poured into me. And, you know, I have a, a little, another group who in leadership has poured into me over the years and been just really integral in meeting with me and talking to me about leadership and about my path and, you know, past, present, future, where do we want to go? I think, you know, there's one in particular that one one student in particular that I um, I think she would say that I was a mentor to her. But the reason I bring her up, she was a high school student that worked at our clinic as a as an aide early on in her career, and then she finished high school. She went to college, then she went to get her PT degree, and now is working spoke at AVTA Next conference this summer and then is also really interested in getting involved more with the, uh, treating pelvic health. And I think that her experience reminds me that mentorship is bilateral. So she would probably say I was a mentor to her throughout her career. But I would say that she has also mentored me because our mentorship has become bilateral. So she is teaching me things and, and educating me on different, varying aspects of a, a lot of different kinds of of, um, of things. You know, we talked about concussion management this summer quite a bit, and some other things along the way. And it's just been a real blessing to get to have that kind of bilateral mentorship. And it's very organic. If we're talking about informal mentorship, I mean, you know, Karen, you know, there's informal and there's formal mentoring. And what combination of that is most effective at different periods of people's careers uh, and experiences is, is sort of, again, very individual. But in in this case, I'm talking about the informal mentoring that occurs that is, is somewhat organic, where you, you share some values or you, you would like to look at, gaining some experience in an area that you see someone else who's very successful there and you try, you know, to, to talk to them about engagement and commitment and, you know, would they mentor you? And is this, is this a good bilateral time? Do we have good trusting relationships? You know, I have kind of a, a, a top 10 things that I think about mentoring sometimes and I've, I've spoken about most of them. But I think, I think the bottom line is we all think mentoring is important. I've never met anyone that I talked about mentoring to who didn't think it was important. Mm-hmm. I look at it. I, I talked about it this summer at next with some of my colleagues who agree um, with this concept that mentoring though is just one piece of a bigger puzzle of mastery. So we're all striving to be better. We all want to kind of move in the direction of, being better we want to accept ourselves where we are now but we want to be better to tomorrow than we are today better you know better today than we were yesterday and so in in that process we're looking for people to help us along that path and I, so i think we all kind of agree it's important I, who are you mentoring i'm dying to know who are you mentoring right now and who has mentored you i want to know that <laughs>
1: Oh my goodness, flipping the switch here, we're flipping the tables. Um, You know, I've I've never had formal, like a formal mentorship program. Like I've never entered into a formal mentorship program, um, you know, that involved, you know, weekly meetings or uh, things like that. But I feel like I have been lucky enough to meet a lot of great people both in physical therapy and outside of physical therapy who have really helped to um, open my eyes to different uh, opportunities that maybe I don't see in front of me but that they're there but I'm not seeing them Um, and people who have who are there to give me like that push when I don't want to do things and oh amen yeah and I think for me that's been great like I look at some of my clients as great mentors to me from a business standpoint I've spoken about this before because they're all CEOs and you know multi-million dollar companies and things like that and I feel like if boy if I have the chance and they are all mentors um, for others but if I have questions or need guidance, I'll oftentimes ask them and they will guide me in the right direction. You know, they'll either say yes, do this, or it's just a no. I remember when I was first creating the podcast, I had someone like work up, a uh, artwork for it. And I sent it to my patient and his wife emailed me back said, Oh, we're not really sure that we like either of them. And, you know, and, and so I emailed back and said, well, what if I change this and this, this, and they wrote back, it's just a no. End of email. <laughs> but sometimes yeah. you need those people to be like, nope, this is not, this is not what you want to do. This is not what you should be doing. And and I think if you have a good mentor, they're not your yes person. They're the person right? to actually say no and offer some alternatives. So when my patient was like, no, just put your face on it. And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. Okay. And of course he was correct. Um, but, and, and I think as, as you move through your career, and I don't know if you agree with this, but your mentors change because your career is changing and your trajectory is changing. And it's not that you're dumping people off at the side of the road and being like, screw you, I don't need you anymore. But it just changes. <laughs>
0: Right. Well, you're transforming, and so you're going to need different things at different times.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean,
0: for example, the the example I gave about the mother of boys, I didn't know I needed that until I uh-huh. needed it. <laughs> you know? right. so, um, we we call this in some of my circles, you know, the best yes and the loving no. So when do you when do you say yes, and when do you give the loving no? I mean, whether it's about your logo or your, um, you know, or it's about you know mentoring at various times i think one of the terms that i've been thinking about over the last couple of years that's spoken to me was having a sponsor or a champion as a part of your mentorship team someone who you know sponsors you like like you were saying when you when you're starting out your your podcast when you're starting out a new venture or you're stepping into a new leadership position. You may need someone to sponsor you, to champion you, to kind of springboard you into that new endeavor. And so that might be a time in your career or your um, profession or your so, you know, leadership walk that you might need a sponsor or a champion, somebody to, to champion you or sponsor you. So I think that's a that's an important piece that we don't always talk about in the mentorship journey that I that I like to bring up.
1: Yeah, and, and those people are vital because there may be a time, because the problem is, is well, I'll just speak for myself, not for everyone, but um, we are our harshest critic. We are the sure. first people to say, no, you can't. We are the first people to be paralyzed with fear that we're creating that doesn't really exist, but we create it. And so I agree when you have that sponsor or champion that person to that can unlock that for you and say no you can do it being a bit of a cheerleader. Um you need that sometimes and you need that person who can say you know I believe in you and and let's talk about some solutions. Let's talk about some ways you can move forward. And again I'm speaking right. I'm certainly speaking for myself because I think those thoughts every day. So I don't know, but I'm right. And that self-talk is that self-talk
0: is so important too. And sometimes you just need that person to give you permission to change your self-talk too. Mm -hmm. I definitely agree with you. 100%. Yeah. I definitely agree with you.
1: Yeah. Self-talk is the self-talk can be the worst. Um you just, or the best.
0: Or the <laughs> best.
1: Yeah, like I know people who wake up in the morning, look in the mirror, and they're like, hey, gorgeous, like talking to themselves. And exactly. I just can't like do that. I, I I'm gonna try and do that, but um
0: well, I do, I do that with the kids in the morning on the way to school. I will, you know, we say, okay, we're going to have some affirmations to ourselves today about, you know, I am strong, I am beautiful, I am kind, you know, those mm-hmm. kinds of things. Um, but also something you taught me that I have never forgotten, and it's been several years now, but we were discussing um, accepting compliments. Yeah. And this, this is sort of, you know, this is sort of off This is not necessarily about mentoring, but, but a little bit, you know, and we were talking about how you say, thank you. And then you say, it's true because oftentimes we say, thank you. Oh no. You know, I didn't really contribute that much or, Oh no. And then we clarify it with a negative, um, clarifying sentence. And what we really should do is thank you. It's true. You know, I did work really hard on that project and I am proud of that. You know, we need to have more, a little bit more positive, um, Optimism bias, if you will. Yeah, so,
1: and and with you taught that, me that, and I love that. I know, I remember that. And you know, with that, if someone gives you a compliment and you say, "Oh, but it's blah 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 blah," like you said, you you clarify it with a negative. You're putting yourself down, but then you're also not acknowledging the person who just gave you the compliment. So is exactly. that person giving you exactly. a compliment again? Probably not, because they gave you a compliment and you shut it down. It's like saying a big F you. Thanks for, thanks for no thanks for the <laughs> compliment. You know, nice to meet you. Instead of just saying, actually, thank <laughs> you so much. No, actually, I don't need your compliment. Thanks a lot. You know what I mean?
0: You're so, not very perceptive at all. You're completely wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, like, would you... Give someone a compliment again after they give they follow up with like a negative sentence or a negative connotation No, so you're not even allowing the person giving you the compliment to feel the joy of giving you that compliment Because don't we all want to compliment? Yeah, I mean it's nice to give someone a compliment and if definitely completely shoot it down. Well. All right. That person is gonna be like well, whatever um, but yeah, <laughs> I'll say my compliments from someone who appreciates them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I, I do think that that is part of, of mentorship because you want to teach your mentees to have that acceptance. So, and, and that acceptance goes a long way. If you are always shooting down compliments, no one's going to give you a compliment anymore. And then you're not going to believe that you deserve one because then no one gives them to you anymore.
0: Oh, that's true. Wow. That is circle. profound. Yeah, well. You're right. You're absolutely yeah. right.
1: So it's like, and absolutely. I do think that that is a big part of being a, a, a positive mentor to someone.
0: I agree with you because what we're really trying to do is inspire people to become mm-hmm. the best version of and, and I shouldn't say we, I my goal is always to inspire people to become the best versions of themselves while we're accomplishing whatever the goal is that we're setting out to do together or that they have, have identified or we've identified are the goals. You know, I want them to be the best version of themselves. I would like to contribute to that to help them be that person that they want to be. And I think that's a part of it, right? So emulating that behavior
1: by accepting
0: compliments is just another part of that.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And now what would you say are the most, some of the most important traits for a mentor to have?
0: Mm, Mentor. That's good. So for a mentor, I think, I think that commitment is important. Communication is important. You know, trust, you need to, you need to be in a trusting relationship. It's an investment. So you need to, you know want to invest in that other person and be engaged with that other person and be open to that other person so that you're you're able to have effective conversation and and with that trust you have a trust of that person and they have a trust of you we actually had an interesting conversation at the dinner table tonight i was talking to um a Montessori teacher a 13 year old basically and we were discussing this aspect of mentoring and what what you need. And passion was one of the things that we identified together and as being something that you need as a mentor. Because if you're not passionate about the topic or about the person or about the goals going into it, you're not going to be able to really give them what they need. If you're kind of just more or less, then then you may be leaving something on the table for them that they need. And they might be able to find someone who's more passionate and might be more effective. With them, and kind of like I was alluding to before, in some cases, not all the cases. It really depends. This is, you know, it's it's very fluid because it really depends on what the men, the mentor and the protege need, uh, what their relationship entails, and what's needed. But sometimes it's like. West Brown has this story of the the Chinese bamboo tree where you water it you water it you water it for years and you the first four years you don't see anything and then all of a sudden the fifth year it shoots up into a full grown tree that fifth year and so sometimes you know if we're not patient and persevering we'll miss out on the real beauty of what's to come with our bamboo tree you know with the, with the the mentor the mentee or the protege that we're working with Um, But it really just depends on the on the relationship, but those are some things that I think are primary that perseverance the passion patience communication
1: All amazing qualities to have in, in a person But certainly I can see that as a mentor and if you're someone who's looking for a mentor What advice do you have? For them to seek out a mentor that fits their needs so for me personally, I think curiosity,
0: what I've, when I've looked back over the course of the relationships that I've had, again, that have been bilateral mentoring relationships, I have look, looked back and the traits that I've noticed in particular are things like curiosity, that desire to be better. And so when we're talking about fit, you know, some of it is also fit. Is it a good fit? So when I say I personally, there's a lot of research out there on mentoring. I shouldn't say a lot, but there's some research out there on mentoring. And, and there are, are lists and lists of, of qualities that they've identified in the literature. But for me personally, when I look back over it, I see things like curiosity, the desire to learn, the desire to be better, a discipline in within that. So the discipline to, to stay to the task or to move forward in the task and also the adaptability and resiliency to change when when you have something like a happy accident that takes you off the path that you think you're on. You think you're going, you know, like for example, let's say you think you wanna be a PhD and you start going down that path and somewhere along the way you realize, wait a minute, um, you know, something happens where I'm I'm not gonna end up finishing my PhD. Well will whatever happened maybe put me back into clinical care where it turns out I'm treating the patients that I've always wanted to treat from 10 years ago. You know, so something may change that that Andrew Guccione coined happy accidents. And I, I one of the things I look at is that ability to adapt and resiliency to um, to handle these happy accidents and how people look at these happy accidents. I think determination goes along with that too. Work work ethic. I talked to, I, I was at a sectional women's health board meeting last week, and we were talking um, to a CFO about financial um, viability. And one of the things she asked us was to think about how we things that we we learned about money from growing up, right? So I grew up in a steel foundry family. We had a farm of all women. So we, own, we had um, my mom and her two sisters and their children were mostly all women. And so there were a lot of hardworking, strong women in my background. And so what I look at is sort of the work ethic is usually a good fit for me. Someone who has a strong work ethic. Um, and, and then, and then something I like to call the hardship factor, because one of the things that I have noticed is I have a bit of a heart for the hardship factor. So one of the questions that I often ask early on is what's the hardest decision you've ever made? And, and some of the answers to that will be surprising and enlightening. And it tells you a lot about a person. And I think that's something that I, you know, I sort of, in, in the mentors that I've mentored, I, I have sort of seen that um, as well. So anyway, that's for me. That's, that's sort of the things that I've noticed.
1: Yeah, great question. I love that. What is the hardest decision you have ever had to make? Great, great question and gives you a great insight into someone's thought process and maybe a little bit of their morality as well. Um, so what a great question to ask. And for, that's a great question, I think, for a potential mentor to ask a mentee and vice versa. Because like you said, these are bilateral relationships. So that absolutely makes a lot of sense. Um, now, is there anything about mentoring that, that maybe we didn't hit and that you are like chomping at the bit to talk about?
0: Gosh, that's a good question. That's a good question. You ask such good questions. I feel like you always hit all the things and you and I just talk and talk and talk and yeah. talk about anything. We could just, I mean, we could certainly, you know, we could certainly kind of go on and on and on. I think one of the things that you and I talked about earlier tonight that, that resonates with me in our mentoring relationships is that, and it's something I've been thinking about over the last couple of years myself is judging these kinds of relationships judging ourselves and also our mentoring relationships by our impact not necessarily by our intentions because I think we all go into these relationships as with many other endeavors in our life we go in with great intentions we have good intentions but you know is the juice worth the squeeze did we get the impact that we were intending to and if not how can we better get that impact how can we how can we matter in these relationships I've been reading that that book matter by Peter Sheehan and it's talking about these kinds of of things you know what is the positive edge of disruption what what are the what are the unique things that we're able to do the unique problems for example that we're able to solve with scalable solutions what are the unique you know where can if you're looking for your purpose. If you're talking to a mentor about their purpose, I mean, a mentee, a a protege about their purpose. And I use those terms interchangeably because people get really passionate about those words. Is it mentee or protege? And there's literature on both sides. So I just use them interchangeably, but, but there are people who have very strong feelings about that. So I'm using them both so that, you know, everyone is touched by (laughs) by that. I don't want to offend anybody by those terms. Right. Um, But I, you know, if we're, if we're talking to our protege or mentee and we're talking about, what their purpose is you know one of the things that we want to talk about is what problems are you ca- uniquely capable of solving or what do you um what is the gap that you could really fill you know what what is your skill set your past experience you what do you bring how can you create value and meaning here and so this book has really kind of helped me in a lot of different ways, but it, it goes to a fundamental concept that I, that I t- have talked about in the past, which is obstacles or opportunities. And so what are those obstacles and what are the opportunities that come out of that? And I think that's something that I always like to talk about in these mentoring relationships because I think, it, you know, struggle builds strength and we're all going to have struggles. But in that, what, what opportunities are there? for you to be successful in the future.
1: Yeah, great, I love it, I love it. Yeah, excellent way to kind of wrap that up there. Now, before we end, I have to ask you one more question, and that is the question I ask everyone. What if, knowing where you are now in your life and in your career, what advice would you give to yourself as a new grad fresh out of physical therapy school?
0: Be open to the happy accidents
1: love it and because they
0: they will positively change your life
1: thank you so much now where can people find you uh well i'm at cecily d on twitter of
0: course um and i am happy to engage with anyone about any of these topics i love talking to you and i want to thank you very much for having me uh on the podcast Uh, you're just doing such great things for not only our profession and healthcare, but it spans so much greater than that. And so, keep doing all the positive things you're doing, and I will look forward to interacting with more of you.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I feel like it's been about time. Um, but, uh, <laughs> been so. I feel like you should have been on years ago. Um, but again maybe it wasn't the right time then um and exactly exactly so for everyone else listening um, we'll have all of Cecily's information, in the show notes at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. So you can go one click and you can ask her any questions you might have about IPPS or mentorship or life in general. Um, or if you are a mama to some eight-year-old boys, get in touch with her <laughs> because <laughs> you, people, you need to stick together. Um, so Cecily, thank you so much for coming on. I really, I'm so happy to have you on.
0: Karen, thank you.
1: Have a wonderful week. Thanks. And everyone else have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Well, now I hope you all love Cecily as much as I do. And of course, a huge thanks to the sponsor of today's episode, NetHealth. So again, they have a brand new online free forum called the Rehab Therapy Operational Best Practices Forum. You can See stats on the community members already involved, plus polls just launched, write-ups, white papers from leading-edge performers, surveys, benchmarking calculators, videos, podcasts, and so much more. So go and sign up. It's free at www.nethealth.com healthy.
0: Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.